The problem is if you give a 21 year old a million dollars, it's not going to last. You know, I, I jokingly say I earned it first one by 21 and spent by 25 because that's kind of what I did. And the thing is, that's that financial literacy piece. And I leave that example there because people get really embarrassed about their money mistakes. I'm like, dude, let me tell you mine. Can you beat it? And they go, no. All right, then whatever you did is fine. Let's just learn from it. Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you today? Good. You know, we're actually finally getting some nice weather here. We've been in crazy hot heat, so it's nice. Oh, yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. So I've seen your background there, portraits of child-free wealth and then also that sign of child-free wealth. So can you tell us about how you started this? So my, my wife and I are child-free, and I was doing coaching, financial coaching, life coaching, all this fun stuff, and went to become a certified financial planner. And the f- interesting thing to me was never once in the CFP is there any mention of being child-free. It just doesn't exist. So I ended up going down a research path. You know, my wife and I are both PhDs, but the question really was, how weird are we? You know, we're weird by nature, but kind of like, because we're child-free and we're weird or whatever. And come to find out about 25% of the U.S. is child-free or permanently childless. And it impacts everything about life and finances. And that's been my area since. Gotcha. I have two kids, but I definitely have friends and relatives who are child-free or permanently childless, as you would describe. But how did you think that this would be a good idea to just focus on this niche? Oh, I didn't. Like, I didn't like. It wasn't like, hey, this is a great idea. It was just like, I wonder what you know other people like us are doing. And it, what was interesting to me is all of the life planning and financial planning stuff assumes your life is either pre kids or post kids. That's the entire plan. You know, you save for college, all this. And my realization was, wait a minute, that means 25% of the U.S. is getting advice that doesn't fit them. And, you know, it's been one of those, you know, wrote a book and did a bunch of things. I'm a, I have a life financial planning firm. It's, you know, investment advisory firm doing awesome because it's a underserved minority group, really. Yeah, makes sense. What do you see as some of the unique challenges for this group when you plan for their finances? Well, the, the, the probably the most unique challenge may be some of the life things, you know. There's a lot of judgment that comes with living a child-free life. You know, you said you got friends that are child-free or child-less, and it's interesting. There's, you know, we're here in 2023, and in the U.S., reproductive rights and choice around, you know, having kids or not is a big political issue. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so much so we did a uh, August 1st International Child-Free Day, and we did a billboard in Times Square just to celebrate what it's like to be child-free. We had all different people showing their life and things. And like, I had people on Instagram telling me that I'm part of a global psyop to convince people not to have children. And like, some like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, seriously, like, but that's probably the biggest challenge is the judgment from others. You know, I think everything else becomes a, it's just a different life plan. It's not better or worse. It's just different. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Other than that, what do you usually tell your clients is the most prudent or financially smart things to do? Yeah, the way we say it is living a life of child-free wealth means you have time, money, and freedom to do what you enjoy. That doesn't mean you're automatically rich. Like income disparities still exist. It's still, you know, you know, it's not like, hey, you're child-free and like, you know, checks just fall from the sky and all of a sudden you got money. 
but it, it changes a little bit of everything about the plan. So let me explain this. So if we start at the end, most child-free folks don't care about passing on money to the next generation. So they embrace what the book would be a die with zero and really say, hey, I want to spend, live, and give my money throughout my life, which completely changes finances. They also, interestingly enough, child-free folks don't have retirement as the same goal, where you know they'd rather find a job that's a good balance and that they enjoy to do throughout their life rather than saying, hey, I want to work 25 years now. So much so we call it file, financial independence to live early rather than fire, financial independence retire early. It's really about finding that shift from work, you know, finding that balance, and that changes everything about your financial plan. You know, even like the basics, like, okay, you need 10 to 12 times your, your um, salary and life insurance. Not if you're child free, because if somebody doesn't need your income, you don't need that. But if you are single and child free, disability insurance is really important. And it turns out 32.1% of childless people over the age of 55 in the US never married. 2.5% of parents. So we're talking about a huge shift and you know what we call alternative family structures, whether they might be a couple, might not, might be single, might be married, might not. And it changes your all of your life and financial choices. So you have a book, right? Portraits of Child-Free Wealth. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of the key concepts or strategies that you highlight in the book, other than what you just talked about. Yeah, so the book was actually a result of research of asking like people, what it, what's it like to live a child-free life? And what's interesting in there is that it starts to debunk some of the common things. Like, for example, you go, well, you're young, you'll change your mind. I got people at 21 getting sterilized, and that's it. You know, they know their path. You know, I have others, you know, they say, well, you're going to regret it when you get older. I got people in their 50s going, yeah, I'm loving my life. You know, it, it's it's interesting because... Part of the reason I published the book was to show people what's it like to live a life of child-free wealth. You know, another great example is uh, child-free couples, often called dinks, dual-income, no kids, where they have two incomes. Often they can embrace something my wife and I embrace, which is called the gardener and the rose, where one person's growing, the other one's providing support, and it allows that flexibility to follow your dreams. You know, my wife got offered a good job down here in Mississippi. We, we picked up and moved from the Northeast, 1200 miles down in Mississippi. It took us no more than throwing the dogs in the car and grabbing the cat. You know, it's just a different way of life. Yeah, so your wife is a professor? She is. Uh, I understand. I have a PhD too, and I know the academia is very competitive. If you want to have a scholarly role, I guess, you really have to go where the job is. There's not that many options and it's a tough road, but if that's where your passion is, kudos to that. <laughs> well, so, so let's pick on this for a second. So in the academic worlds, they talk about, you know, they got the, the one that's getting a tenure track facility, a job and then the trailing spouse, you know, <laughs> which sometimes they'll find an extra job. And the reality check is finding two PhD level jobs in the same area at the same time at the same level is nearly impossible. Oh, yeah. You know, one person has to make sacrifices for the other. And that's where what we do with the Garden of the Rose is we take turns. You know, right now she's the rose for this period of time. At the end, it'll be my turn, you know, probably about 10 years. But I'll be honest, I'm in 10 years, I'm not doing a job. I'm going to go on a boat and travel the world. You know, like we're going to do something different. But I think what happens, especially for those that are in, you know, academic or high degree careers, you almost have to have somebody providing support at home just to make it through. 
yeah. you know, it, it, and you have to be willing to go where the jobs are, which was why we end up in a random place in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. I basically had experiences of all what you said. My professors, they usually have either a stay at home spouse or in very rare circumstances, they manage to make it work. So they used to teach in two universities long distance. And then somehow one professor got more established. He was able to bring his wife over. Uh, she had to start from first year assistant professorship. For me, I didn't go the academic route, which makes it a lot easier because then I can sort of be wherever. So your PhD is in adult learning. Mm -hmm. How was your experience in that helping with your business? Yeah. So everything I do has a learning focus, you know, so when I grew up, um, so I'm mid forties and the only thing I was taught on how to do finances was how to balance a checkbook, which is a giant waste of time. And you eventually realize, you know, at least my examples for my parents was not great. You know, I grew up broke and you realize that if people can learn how to manage their money, they can do a lot better. So my firm is actually what we call an advice only fee only fiduciary. So we teach people to do it. We don't take over their investments. You know, we have 15 courses, hundred videos, all that, but really my focus is in creating good content and learning opportunities for people that are child free. Oh yeah. By the way, if you want one-on-one -on -one support from a CFP, I can help you through you know, what do you do with your taxes or your RSUs or whatever? But what ends up happening is if you teach people how to do it, they can do it. You know, this, this old fashioned world of like, you had to go to a financial person to like manage all your investments and they just took it over and never taught you. I think that's going away. You know, I think you're seeing a lot more people going, no, I want to learn how to do this. Yep. And I probably, you know, I, I, I've kind of watched it, but I probably use my, PhD in learning, adult learning 80% of the time and my CFP the other 20% of the time. Because the financial numbers are actually really easy people to people. It's how do we shift their mindset, their mental models around it and really change that. Yeah, that's interesting. I heard from either maybe Dave Ramsey or somebody else that says you should actually go with a fixed fee type of advisor because the ones that charge you commission, the incentives are sort of misaligned, right? Because they're going to get paid just for buying or selling your portfolio, but they're not giving you real kind of learning materials that you can live on afterwards. So I haven't seen any sort of fixed fee based advisor. I guess you're the first one I've spoken to at least. How do you kind of make it sustainable business model for yourself? If you teach someone, they learn, they move on. So you have to continuously generate new clientele. Yep. So Keep in mind, just kind of terminology things. So you talk about fee-based or fee-only. People can be fee-only and charge a percentage of assets under management. I actually think that the percentage-based or commission has a huge conflict, and that's what you're getting to. You know, So in particular for child-free folks, when you're trying to die with zero, if somebody's charging you 1% of their assets, they want your net worth to always go up, and you want it to go down. So like, there's an inherent conflict of interest. There's also a cost factor. So let me look at it this way. Do you, do you pay your CPA a percentage of your taxes? No. So why would you pay me a percentage of your assets? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and you talk about sustainable business, you know, okay, cool. You know, I probably have to work harder than somebody that's just like babysitting a percentage sales, but which is that the real value for the client? You know, your choices are you could pay somebody a percentage of your assets and they do it for you, 
or you can learn how to do it and be in charge of your own accounts and not pass it over. Which would you prefer? Oh, definitely the latter. Yeah, no doubt. I'm definitely agreeing that this is a better option for the people who are buying the advice. But for you as the provider of the advice, you're losing out on better opportunities, you know, but maybe that's, that's good. That's well, tough. well, Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, it's a question of, so, you know, principles, I, you know, brace it's an old school from Zig Ziglar that you can have everything like you want if you help enough other people get what they want. I help people, they come back. And what I want is I want them to be a customer for life, but I don't want them to pay me every month. You know, I have a monthly subscription or I don't want them to pay me forever because if you don't need me, go away. You know, I actually tell my clients if, you know, my monthly package is $500 a month. I said, if you're not getting $500 of value, I want you to fire me. That's just a principle. And you know what happens? is they get to a point where we graduate them out, you know, they go on and then their life goes in some other direction or something happens, they get inheritance or they're helping their parents and they come back, you know, and they're clients for life. I think that the, this idea that you should be paying a financial person a percentage of your stuff forever, I just don't get. Now, mind you, I come out of a rich out of healthcare and academia. I'm not like, I wasn't like born and bred in finance. Mm-hmm. And there are many of people in finance that think I'm screwing up the system and, you know, I'm doing it wrong. That's okay. Um, but my clients appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure. And I still make money. Let's be real. I'm doing very well as a business. It's just, I think, if you're, if you're stuck in that, like, percentage-based estimate or management, that's stuff that I, AI can do without a problem. Mm-hmm. So that job can be eliminated completely. Right. Teaching people how to change their behaviors, their mindsets around money, and helping them learn around it. AI cannot do that. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm future-proofing my job. Yeah, exactly. Especially the one-on-one type of coaching relationship. It's very hard to be replaced. So your form of advice is usually in the form of coaching, or do you have courses? How is that provided? Yeah. So I have two different products. I have one I call it the do-it-yourself, you know, which I have 15 courses, 100 videos, group Q&A. That's $50 a month. And then I have one-on-one, which I meet for an hour via Zoom. I plan an hour offline, like reviewing all the documents, all that. And we work on one to two things each month. You know, so we might work on, you know, with fight, with child-free folks, I start with what's your life plan, then your finances, then your taxes. We might start on the goals and, by the way, be fixing, you know, something with your insurance or whatever it is. And we make an incremental change each month. Because the reality check is financing is, finance is overwhelming. Like, if you have to, like, do it all at once, like, your head explodes. So every time they meet, they get homework and they work through a process and, you know, there's accountability. We meet each month, work through it. And what ends up happening is, you know, there's kind of a bit of a give and take. They're learning as they go along. But I'm really working on those behaviors and mental models around finance. You know, the, the general rule is 80% of your success with finance is behavioral. But most people spend all their time on the numbers. The numbers almost don't matter. It's the behaviors that make the difference, and that's where I spend my time. It, you want to call it a coaching model? Go right ahead. Um, but it's also, you know, I'm also a registered investment advisor with the SEC, so I can literally look over your shoulder and be like, all right, log into your brokerage account. Here's what we're going to buy. Here's what we're going to sell. Here's how we do this, and help them through the whole process. Gotcha. Can you share a success story of somebody you coached or helped who benefited significantly from your advice? Sure. So there's somebody that actually joined us on our podcast to talk about their example, uh, Heather and Scott, and really interesting story. So dual income, no kids, and she was working a state job. Now, the fun part of a state job is they're stable as they come. Comes with a pension, do, you know, kind of just 
no problem with a paycheck, but they're also boring. Let's be real on that. Like people stay at state jobs because they're very stable, but like super boring and not really getting far ahead. Mm-hmm. And I worked through them through their budget and their finances and got to the end. And I was like, she's like, I kind of want to change, but I've been doing this for, uh, I forget what it was, a decade. And, and I said, well, what would you really do? And she didn't really know. So what we did was we started off and put her on a six month sabbatical. Said, okay, let's go figure out who you are. And the way I do sabbaticals is first two months, uh, first two months is really just like watching Netflix, like Hulu, just like get your brain to stop thinking. Cause you've been doing the same job for 10 years. You got to like reprogram your brain. I don't care which streaming service you use, just pick one. The next two months are kind of like, what would I be if I could be anything? What would I be when I grow up? And then the next two months are trying something. And by pure luck, her timing, um, her months ended up through what's called NaNoWriMo, which is National uh, Novel Writing Month. So she went and wrote her first book. And she got through it and kind of loved it and loved what's going on. Now she's out shopping for you know an agent and going through this and she's going to spend the next couple of years as an author now the problem with being an author is you either make like no money or a lot of money there's nowhere in between like it just it's kind of funny how that works so she might not make a lot of money but i asked her i said are you happier she goes absolutely and that's the difference when you start thinking about how can you optimize your life you might give up a little on you know like how your accounts are going up but you're happier in life and that's the hard one to get through and that's why I call it life and financial planning together. Yeah. And that's priceless, right? You also have a podcast, right? You just mentioned that those two folks were on your podcast. So what are some of the key topics? Do you usually just invite the clients of yours or like who do you usually interview and what are the topics you cover? Yeah. So uh, it's a Child Free Wealth podcast. My co-host is Bree. She actually works with me. She's a paraplanner. One of the interesting things we're doing is she's studying to become a certified financial planner. So we're actually using, okay, here's what you learned in the CFP program. Let's talk about that and let's talk about it in the public, but let's talk about it with a child-free spin. And it's been really interesting to see people say, okay, this is finally some advice that fits me. Because the hard part is, you know, you've mentioned Dave Ramsey, all the advice that exists, assume you're gonna have kids. So Dave Ramsey's program is the seven baby steps. It's very popular, it's great for getting people out of debt, but it has a lot of assumptions in there about having kids. Our program is the eight no baby steps. You know, we kind of have a little fun with it, but what ends up happening is the first couple steps of like getting out of debt, that's pretty, that's good for everybody. You know, get out of debt, get out of budget, like that's basics. But then it takes this hard turn of saying, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do and where do you want to work? And we're trying to dive into, okay, how does being child-free impact your finances in your life? Like great example of this is people get to, I don't know, mid thirties, mid forties, child-free folks, and they hit what we call the child-free midlife crisis. You hit your personal, professional, financial goals, and then you're like, now what? Now you're a parent, you hit your personal, professional, financial goals, you shift your goals to your kids, you know, and and that's just natural. Well, instead with us, it's kind of like, well, now what do you want to do with your life? And it becomes a moment of reflection, but also a moment of, you know, kind of being lost. You know, when I hit it, my wife was finishing her PhD and just got her first faculty job. And I ended up like running a maple syrup farm for a while. Why? Because I had no clue what I wanted to do. Like I was selling stuff on Amazon. I was delivering firewood. Like, you know, I'm over here with a PhD delivering firewood. It felt a little weird, but like, it's just like a chance to find yourself. And those are the type of things we talk about in the podcast because they're different. You know, and we're talking about, okay, how do you shift your life and finances? You know, and, and because it's almost... Being child-free almost gives you too many options. 
it's that paradox of choice or analysis paralysis routine. It's like, well, you know, people ask me, when can I retire? I'm like, well, do you want to retire? They say, no. Well, then why are you asking me when can you retire? You know, it just shifts everything. I have this one particular friend who um, is really, really keen on retiring early. I think he's probably in his mid forties as well, but he's like, oh, but I have this girl in my house, so I can't do a lot of things that other people could do. Even like location arbitrage, which is a very popular strategy for the fire community. He can't just move to Bali or somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. cheaper. Yeah. Let me give you an example. So I'm working on my second book and my editor, um, her and her dog, Cheddar is her dog. They, they actually don't own a house. They live in an Airbnb for a month, each month and just go random places. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Well, the, the, the thing is, you couldn't do that if you had kids. Let's just be real on that. It's just, you know, like, right. but I, I'll pick it up. It's like, where are you? Vermont. Okay. Where would you last week? Josh. I'm like, all right, cool. Wherever. And it's interesting with the child-free folks. There's just that much flexibility. Like, for example, buying a house for a child-free person is rarely going to be the right choice because they're not stuck to a community. Right. They're more likely to move. I got people moving to Portugal. I got people moving all different places. And it's just different. I think. The other part of it is, you know, so you talk on the fire community. Um, I love the fire stuff. I have some challenges. I, I focus more on this file concept because when you don't want to retire, it changes all the math. So like safe withdrawal rate doesn't match anymore. Because you're trying to die with zero, safe withdrawal rate is against what you're trying to do because it's trying to save your money. And like people go, well, I'm going to barista fire. Well, then you're not really retiring. You're still working. You just picked a different job. Right. And But I have child-free folks. I mean, I don't know, probably a third of my clients run a small business. It's not necessarily to make a lot of money. It's just because they enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, but if I want to run a small business, which one? Well, you know, I have five ideas. Like it just, And that's where it becomes a challenge because there's not that standard path to follow. Right, right. Yeah, because even for me, I feel like maybe I can retire hopefully sooner than other people. But what I'm struggling now too is what do I do afterwards? Cause I've seen so many people who retire who just got so bored. So a lot of the times people might think they want to retire, but once they actually get there, the reality is different. Well, so, and, and it's perfect. I mean, the way I say it is you gotta know what you're retiring to, not where you're retiring from. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to know what they don't want to do. I want to, I want to you know, tell my boss what to do with their job, but then what? And that's where it gets kind of interesting because if you're going to be like your friend going back to work, well, then the math on retirement is not the right math for him. Exactly. You know, he, could, he probably could have cut back and switched out of jobs earlier. Yeah. Probably the same for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, all right, let me pick on you for a second here and, and kind of work okay. this through. Cause this is, this is what we do with our clients. Mm -hmm. So if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? Maybe like a lot of your clients, I'm probably going to do something on my own, like a small business. I just haven't figured out exactly what I'm the most passionate about or what is the most needed. You know, like I have a lot of ideas, but then which one would have the market for it? I haven't figured that out. Well, so which one would have the market for it goes back to the assumption that you have to make more money at it. So let me ask you a different way. Which one would you enjoy most? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was just talking about that with my husband yesterday. I feel like I'm more of a loner instead of like a um, team player. And of a lot of the options I looked at, I feel like I would like to be some kind of like an investor or money manager. 
because I like doing analysis. I like looking at different numbers and 10Ks and just figuring out, like understanding businesses. So I feel like that suits my personality better. You know, I think that's a good career path. And I don't have to work with a lot of people because, I mean, a lot of the very successful investors, they pretty much work on their own. Because by definition, I think if you're a good investor, you probably should be a contrarian, right? Because you're buying when other people are selling and vice versa. So yeah, I feel like that would be probably a good path for me. Well, and this is where I call Marie Kondo in your life. It's finding what brings you joy and get rid of the stuff that doesn't. So if you're saying what brings you joy is doing deep analysis of different things, cool. That's really an analyst job in different, you know, there's different ways you do that. But why don't you start that now? Yeah, I'm kind of doing it on the side on my own dime. You know, I'm not managing other people's money because I don't feel safe doing that. But uh, yeah, I'm learning a lot about investing. And that's part of the reason why I started this channel is because I want to learn more. So so if you're looking to do that, my, my advice is go to the CFA coursework. Okay. So the CFA, um, and you can become a charter holder there, and it's a lot of work, but it's heavy on the math, the analysts, you know, the, the technicals, all that fun stuff, which then would give you lots of opportunities, whether it's, yeah, you hang out your own shingle or other things, but it might give you a project. You know, anyone that's actually done a PhD ends up like thinking about research and, you know, learning and like, it's just kind of part of who we are. Uh -huh. But if you had a learning path, you would probably end up with six business ideas off of doing that learning path to become a CFA. Cool. Does yeah. that make sense? I'll look into that. Yeah. And, and it's at a different level because yeah. really this stuff here, we're talking about personal finance is mostly behavioral. Mm -hmm. The hardcore investing stuff, like with the CFA versus the CFP, the CFA is much more on the, you know, the math, the portfolio, the investments, those type of things, which what you're enjoying versus the personal finance is about the people and the behaviors. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I guess my question is, so for a CFA, you know, it's a lot of heavy finance. Would that be helping with um, kind of the practical way of investing though? Because I feel like a lot of the investors, right, they might not have had even official training in finance, but they're just very intuitive and whatnot. And they just kind of learn in the trenches, you know? And, and that's a different way. If you want to go work for a, a large, you know, hedge fund, something like that, you learn in the trenches. Right. The CFA is the education behind it, which you're probably going to end up in a combination of both. The bonus of the CFA is you could actually work for a company doing their, you know, investment strategy rather than working with the clients one-on-one. -on -one. You're in the back office doing that. Right. Or you could be an outsourced investment um, officer, you know, the chief investment officer type role. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you need a certificate. You know, you, you need to have the credentials enough to, to yeah. do that, you know, so that's the hard part. Unless your PhD happens to be in finance. It's an econ, but yeah. All right, we're in the right direction. <laughs> um, but but if you're going to do the econ path, that's the econ, interestingly enough, where the money there is, is more in the pontification is what I call it. You yeah. know, the, the, uh, the, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. the people out there, blah, 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 all day. And I'm like, you have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have so many <laughs> economist jokes. I don't even want to start, but yeah. <laughs> but here's my point. My point is all of that could start today. Why you wait until you retire? Yeah, I'm trying to. My, my challenge to people is figure out what life you want to live first, then figure out your finances. Most people allow their finances to drive their life decisions. Mm -hmm. And it's not really a true driver right right you could always adjust your personal finances so that you can then go take that chance that you've always wanted to do yeah yeah let's go back to you then since 
we're talking about money, right? I think one thing I saw on your bio, which was interesting, was you made your first million by twenty-one, and then losing it all by twenty-five. Can you tell us about that story? It sounds very interesting. Yeah, so I actually when、uh, so I told you I grew up broke, and when I graduated high school, it was actually the mid nineties, and I couldn't afford to go to college and all that fun stuff. So I ended up working for a internet IPO in the late nineties, which that was just before the bust, which is it's a good timing, but you know. So I ended up working for different companies in New York City. It was actually、um, a really interesting. You know, you're you're in Jersey, right? Yeah, I'm in New Jersey.、Mm-hmm. So I was in Connecticut. I was actually commuting each day three hours into the city to to do this job because I didn't have enough money for an apartment. You know, I was 19 at the time, and by pure dumb luck, I, I was doing sales. Company did well, made my first million, but I was 21. The problem is, if you give a 21 year old a million dollars, it's not going to last. I'm just telling you.、Um, and I, you know, I did some good things. I paid for some parents' house and my sister's college and you know different things, but I also bought like a Hummer and you know random things, and you know I ended up using it to pay for school. But you know I, I jokingly say I earned it first one by twenty one and spent by twenty five because that's kind of what I did. And the thing is, that's that financial literacy piece. You give somebody a million dollars at twenty one without the financial literacy, you know what's going to happen to it. And you know it really doesn't matter the amount; it doesn't change the answer. I think one of the things I did learn from there. Is you know everybody always said you know well the money doesn't bring happiness I think that is true but you have to like have it before you can really decide that's the case like you know it's kind of you know it's just not right for people to say oh it just doesn't bring you happiness you know, it brings you happiness to a point and then you're like yeah it's just zeros、um, but it's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about helping other people learn about money and I and I leave that example there because people get really embarrassed about their money mistakes and I'm like dude. Let me tell you mine. Can you beat it? And they go, no. All right, then whatever you did is fine. Because what happens is, especially with personal finance, people just like, oh well, I don't want to share my my dirty laundry. I don't want to like, like, let's just learn from it. You did something stupid. You pay the stupid tax and move forward.、Um, and I think we all make mistakes. And I, I think the way to make money accessible is humor, humility, and vulnerability. If you go to a financial planner and they think they have everything perfect, then that's probably not the right financial planner for you, because the honest truth is they're messed up too. You know, I've I've had clients that are CPAs that I look at their personal finance. I'm like, you can manage a company with hundreds of millions of dollars, but you can't balance your own money. You know, and, and it's just true. Yeah, yeah, I probably know some people like that too. I was gonna I wasn't gonna ask about the economists, but I'm sure it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, they can yeah. talk about the macro stuff, but that micro stuff in their own. Paycheck. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a、um, politician, like either a governor or a senator or something. He was saying that, oh yeah, our country's、um, deficit situation is out of control. We really need to have the country be like individuals and just manage their finances better. And then not long after that, he made that comment. He was busted for some kind of like bribery or something because he just. He couldn't, I guess, make enough money, so he took these bribery, which is totally such a blow to the statement that he made. At what point did you realize that you have this passion for helping other people gaining the financial literacy, and you can make a business out of it? My PhD is adult learning. I've always been about coaching and helping people learn. That's always been what I was. I was in healthcare, and what you find out in healthcare, you know, once you become a healthcare executive, is it's all about money. 
-hmm. you know, I went into it to save patients and help patients. It's all about money. You know, and I don't mean to be jaded, but you know, that's the truth. <laughs> like anyone's ever dealt with the healthcare system knows it's the truth. And so I kind of left healthcare and started doing more coaching. And what I found, and the honest truth is people are more willing to pay for financial coaching than life coaching, even though their life probably needs more of it. And then financial coaching really is a weird um, legal problem because how much advice you can give as financial coach is, is limited before it becomes investment advice. So I said, okay, I got to go from being a financial coach to being an investment advisor. And I think what I'm finding is that the need is huge. I mean, if you look at the child free financial planners, there's one firm dedicated to serving them. And that's mine. There's, there's nothing for 25% of the US. Like it's impossible. I can't serve everybody. So I'm saying, okay, how do I educate them? How do I, you know, with the courses and the podcast and all that. And what happens is it's really going back to my original core beliefs around helping people learn. It's just people are more willing to pay for finance than they are some of the other stuff, even though, hey, I sprinkle on the life stuff, whether they want it or not. That's cool. What do you envision your future would be for this child-free wealth or maybe other ventures that you're doing? Yeah, one of the ones we're trying to solve right now, it's kind of an interesting problem, is um, if you're single, child-free, or you're a child-free uh, child couple, the healthcare and the government systems break down if you don't have next to kin. Think about it. You go to the hospital, they're like, who's going to make decisions for you? Mm -hmm. Who's going to take care of when you're older? Who's going to decide to pull the plug? Who's going to finance your finances? That's the, one of the hard ones I'm trying to solve. You know, I'm actually working with banks and trust companies and different things, trying to figure out how do we create an infrastructure to allow people to live their best child-free life and have support you know from the time they decide to be child-free until the time they die and the interesting thing we're finding is like the government systems are, are broken like they just won't work for child-free folks because they all have like in the laws your next of kin does this all this and it's become one of those like i don't know the white whale you know i'm chasing after it. i've been two years working on this problem and I think what's going to end up happening is over time, I'll end up with essentially three products, you know, where do it yourself, do it with help, or hey, we'll take care of everything from the day you become child free to the day you die. But it's going to take some huge changes in the government and the systems and, you know, the, the bigger issues, you know. And I think the challenge for child free folks is a lot of people are child free, don't even realize it. You said you have friends that are child free, permanently childless. They probably didn't even realize their finances are different. So I'm out there like doing press and podcasts and all. I'll be like, hi, it's all different. You know, and I spend half my time talking to child-free people about their finances, half talking to financial people about child-free people. You know, it's it's one of those, I'm out there, like I feel like I'm screaming into the wind, but my hope is if we can figure out some of these systematic problems, some of the things, like even the financial software can't handle child-free folks because they want to die with zero and they're not, they're a couple but not married. It breaks all the software. So we have these huge systematic biases that I'm fighting against. Now, to your question, is that going to make me money? I don't know, but it's worth it for the cause. You know, and if I do nothing but make financial planning for child-free exist, I'm okay with that. Yeah. If I can make some money on it, awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I have relatives who are um, older, uh, like my aunts were not married nor have kids. I never thought about it, but I didn't feel appropriate to ask. But uh, yeah, I wonder what their estate planning or will, how they're taking care of that. Hopefully they're doing something, but I really don't know. So here's the problem. Your aunts go out to a financial planner and say, hey, I need to figure out my long-term care, my estate planning, all that. 
the financial planners don't know. You know, so I actually encourage people that are child free. I say, hey, ask your financial planner, how is your plan different because you're child free? Mm-hmm. And most financial planners, I don't know. Or the worst answer, which is it's not different because it is huge different. That means it changes the future. Or the even worse answer, well, you'll change your mind. You'll have kids eventually. Like none of those are good answers. But we can use your aunts. Well, my goal for my child-free clients is by mid-40s to have a plan for their long-term care, whether it's long-term care insurance or money set aside, state planning, power of attorney. All that has to be in place early, early because things happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, you take somebody's child-free and they're, let's call mid-50s. If they don't have disability insurance and they're single and they get disabled, they're out of luck. I mean, Social Security disability pays like nothing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is so low. And the system does not have a way to support people without kids. Even like the, if you're going to get like TANF assistance or other things like that, it's all based on family size and having kids. Right. Yeah. The single child-free person is going to get the least payment, but they still got to pay for the rent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fidel did a study on this. Uh, We like to call single folks soloists. And they found that the single tax, the cost for being single, having no kids is about between 400,000 and a million dollars off across your life. Oh, wow. If you think about it, like you rent a one bedroom apartment, if you had a partner, you're splitting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you're yeah. on your own. It's you're on your own. You know, you get you know, food, same thing, whatever it is, you know, light bills, you've got to pay that all yourself. And it's completely overlooked. And, and it's 32.1% of child free folks are never married. So mm-hmm. we're talking about in the US, you know, 20 plus million people that don't have a great answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It should have been obvious, but I never really realized. Once you once you see it, it becomes yeah, like yeah. Some of my friends maybe they made up their mind already, you know. But uh, I've never talked to them about planning like this. That is a good reminder, and thank you for sort of serving this population. It's definitely growing for whatever reason. Yeah. All right. So then, a couple more questions for you. Do you have a book recommendation for financial planning or just life in general? So so I end up. The two books I kind of put together, if somebody ends up with it, is Die With Zero, Perkins. So this is an interesting approach about, you know, look, we shouldn't be leaving it to, you know, when we die, we should be spending giving throughout our life. Um, And then the other one is, of course, The Simple Path to Wealth, which is the fire Bible, I swear. But, you know, you put those two together, it gets the basics of a lot of financial planning for child-free folks, and then it's a spin from there. that's also why I'm working on my second book on this to specifically do it because it doesn't exist. But at least you can, you know, if you haven't picked up Die With Zero, have you read that one yet? Yeah, Simple Path to Wealth, yes, but not the first one, Die With Zero. I'll check that out. Yeah, check out Die With Zero. You'll, you'll. It, it, some people are turned off by the title, but when you dive into it, you talk about the combination of time, money, and health, and it's some good stuff. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Great. All right. So then, my last question for you is. Where can people find more about you? Yep. So childfreewealth.com is the website, Child Free Wealth Podcast, everywhere you listen, Child Free Wealth on all socials except for Twitter, because we left there because Elon Musk said childless folks should not have a vote. So, like, you know, like, you know, yeah, he did. He said childless folks have less of a stake in the future, so therefore they probably shouldn't have a vote. So like we're like, our vote, we're out. So, everywhere else for child free wealth. All right. Got it. Um, Thanks for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming on the show and um, have this interesting discussion with me. Absolutely. And you're going to have to talk to your aunts and your friends. And now you'll see, you know, like, hey, episode. Yeah.
All right. Great. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you.